Let's uh, read together Psalm 126. A song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. And our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This uh, song of ascents is quite different from the songs of ascents that uh, precede it the six song, songs of sense that precede it. We've noticed in those first six that uh, the dominant theme, the dominant idea in those six psalms is the idea of the peace and security of God's people. Uh, that is not the main idea at all here in Psalm 126. Furthermore, when you look at those first six psalms of ascent, what you see is psalms that are really um, appropriate for any occasion and for any time. They're not related to any particular events. But this psalm is a psalm which is related very specifically to the return from the captivity in Babylon. And it's a psalm not so much about peace and security, but it's a psalm about the joy of salvation. And so we'll look at the psalm under the theme, Joy in the Great Things God Has Done for Us. And we'll look first at the celebration of that joy, then at the prayer in verse 4, and finally at the promise of verses 5 and 6. It was somewhere, of course, around 600 B.C., probably a little bit before that, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, began to invade the land of Judah, with his armies, and something like 10 to 12 years after his first invasion of the land that he conquered the city of Jerusalem, destroyed it, destroyed the temple, and took uh, captive many of the people of the land. That um, destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple and that going into captivity were, of course, a um, judgment of God upon the people of Judah for their wickedness, for their unfaithfulness to him and to his covenant. But this uh, destruction and captivity were uh, a cause of enormous grief to the people of God, to the faithful among the people of God. It was a catastrophe such as they had never seen in all of the history of Israel. And their feelings about that uh, catastrophe, of course, are expressed very vividly in Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. 
For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us required mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And, of course, uh, during the time of the captivity, the faithful people of God uh, had their hearts continually turned towards the uh, city of Jerusalem and towards the house of God, which no longer existed. Their uh, longing for the house of God and their longing for the uh, return of the people of God to the city of Jerusalem would have been well expressed, though these psalms may have been written for other occasions, would have been well expressed by Psalm 42, for example, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Or uh, Psalm 84 would have been very appropriate for the expression of their feelings as well. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. And of course we see this longing for Jerusalem and for the house of God in Daniel, even toward the end of that period of captivity as he was still after many years in captivity praying three times a day towards the city of Jerusalem. Now, this captivity, of course, of uh, Judah in uh, the land of Babylon was uh, prophesied by Isaiah the prophet and also by Jeremiah. And these two prophets also themselves spoke of the release of the captives from that captivity. So you find in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, 44, the last verse, who says of Cyrus, God talking about Cyrus, the king of Persia, more than a hundred years before Cyrus was born, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. And in Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 10, Jeremiah himself prophesied of the length of the captivity, but thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So the Prophets had spoken of the captivity, but they had also spoken of the return from captivity. And here in Psalm 126, we have a celebration of that great and glorious and joyful event. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now that word dream uh, can be understood in two different ways. In the Old Testament scriptures, that word is often used of prophetic dreams. 
The kind of dream, for example, that Jacob had at Bethel when he saw the ladder that reached from heaven to earth and angels ascending and descending on that ladder. And the kinds of dreams that many other of God's people in the Old Testament, prophets especially, had. Visions of the, the glories of God's kingdoms, visions of the blessings that God had in store for his people. This kind of dream, that's maybe the kind of dream he has in mind here when he says we were like those who dream. We were like the prophets who dreamed these glorious and happy dreams of the uh, blessings of God to his people. But it's also possible to understand that word dream in just the ordinary sense in which we dream. The prophet Isaiah uses the word that way in in chapter 29, verse 8. It shall even be as when a hungry man dreams, and look, he eats, but he awakes and his soul is still empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and look, he drinks, but he awakes and indeed he is faint and his soul still craves. It's this kind of dream that Isaiah is talking about then that could be the uh, idea here, just the ordinary dreams that we all have at times, the happy dreams, the what we might call the wish fulfillment dreams, the dreams such as Isaiah describes of a thirsty man who dreams that he's drinking, that a very uh, happy kind of dream, or a hungry man who dreams that he's eating, and that too, a very happy kind of dream. So this, he's talking then about happy dreams, whether he's talking about prophetic dreams or about ordinary dreams, he's talking about very happy dreams, dreams that are unmixed with the ordinary sorrows of life, dreams which are altogether happy, delightful, giving pleasure, dreams from which we would rather not wake up, perhaps, or we regret waking up from them when they are interrupted in the middle. But there is about those dreams, we should uh, notice, first of all, uh, something that is fantastic, right? Something that goes beyond imagination. They're, um, we might say, too good to be true. They're unreal, in a sense. And I think that he has this kind of idea here as well. This is something beyond our imagination, something too great for mind to conceive, for the soul to take in, and something which feels in uh, the uh, happiness uh, somewhat unreal, as, as Peter felt, for example, when the angel woke him and released him from the prison of Herod. And Peter thought he was simply dreaming to, until he found himself awake in the streets of the city of Jerusalem. This, this really can't be happening, that kind of feeling. And I think he has that idea here too. We were like those who dreamed, that is, we felt kind of, this, this couldn't really be happening. This was too fantastic a thing really to be true, too, uh, too joyful and too wonderful for us almost to believe in it. I think that's the sense he's trying to give us here. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. 
God's work was simply so great, so wonderful, so joyful a thing that we could hardly believe that it was happening. And so our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing or with joyful shouting. Isaiah, again, Isaiah is the prophet who speaks most uh, clearly of the return from captivity. Isaiah speaks also of this joy in chapter 35, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's the joy that the people of God were feeling here in this psalm. In addition, though, as they felt this joy, they heard the nations around them looking on and wondering at what God had done and saying, the Lord has done great things for them. Probably the nations were amazed at the mighty work which the Lord was accomplishing. Perhaps even the nations were somewhat envious, saying to themselves, I wish our gods could do for us what their God is doing for them. If you want to get some kind of sense of of this, think about the Egyptians standing on the uh, shore of the Red Sea as God opened the way for Israel to pass through so that they could go on dry land through the midst of the sea. Or think of the uh, people of Canaan wondering and envying as the walls of Jericho fell down before the armies of Jerusalem. Or as they wondered at the flight of the Midianites before Gideon's 300. God has done great things for them. And then the people of God pick up on these words of the nations that they hear, and they say, indeed, the Lord has done great things for us. They, they hear the words and they take them as their own. The very same words that the nations are, use, are, are using, they use, changing only the pronoun. The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. It's Joy that cannot be described, no words adequate to express that joy fully. And so they fall back on the bare minimum of words necessary to tell us of their joy. A dramatic understatement. We are glad. Now, in verse 4, the psalm takes a turn, a, a, a very unexpected turn. We find in verse 4, prayer. But it's not, as we might expect, a prayer of praise and thanksgiving for the, what has been accomplished. But it is instead a prayer of petition. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. So they turn to petition in the midst of their joy. And the question, of course, is why? They have just been celebrating their return from captivity, and now they say, bring back 
our captivity? What need is there for them to pray for a return from captivity? And they use, actually, the very same word there in verse 4, bring back our captivity, as is found in verse 1, the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. What need is there for asking for a return from captivity when they have been already brought back from captivity? Well, I, I think that there are some very real possibilities here. We might, for example, imagine uh, that this prayer was a prayer, for example, of Ezra and of those who returned in that second group of captives with Ezra. And so they see what the Lord has done for their brothers and sisters, and they rejoice in what the Lord has done for their brothers and sisters and with those uh, saints who have already returned, but then they think about themselves and they say, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Or it may be just simply that this is the prayer of God's people in Jerusalem already, those who have come back, now asking that God will bring many, many more back as well. They want, they uh, are feeling this great joy which God has uh, given to them in their own return, and they say, we wish that our brothers and sisters could rejoice with us and could come back and have the same joy that we have here now. And therefore they turn to the Lord and they say, bring back our captivity, or if you might say, bring back the rest of our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Uh, we see that joy of the uh, um, returned captives in Ezra chapter 3, at the end of Ezra chapter 3, when they saw the um, foundations of the temple laid. They sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And they have this sense that uh, there should be more here, more of God's people. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now we might translate that phrase, uh, streams in the south, almost as wadis in the Negev. The um, word south there is actually the word Negev, and that Negev was... Still, it's still today called that, by the way. It's a desert area, a wilderness area to the south of the land of Israel. And it's because it's a desert area, it's, it's a dry area. But it has its rainy season. And when the rainy season comes, then these uh, uh, canyons or ravines or arroyos or wadis, whatever you want to call them, fill with water and sometimes are filled with torrents of water so that they're dangerous to human life, in fact. And I think that's the idea that's here in, in this verse 4, that these captives are saying, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as those streams in the Negev. In fact, make it as it were, torrents of captives returning 
to their own land. A great flood of people coming back to your house and your city and your land. Isaiah also prophesies about this in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And the same prophecy is found in Micah chapter 4, verse 1. All nations shall flow to it. In fact, of course, this prayer of the people of God in Psalm 126 was answered not only in further returns of captives from Babylon and perhaps even of, of some from the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, but was also answered in the coming of the Gentiles, the flowing of the Gentiles into the city and kingdom of God. So that's the prayer, the prayer that the people of God um, may see many others joining them in the great joy which they have in their deliverance from bondage. And in verses 5 and 6, then, we have a promise. Now, again, it's possible to take this in a couple of different ways. J.J. Uh, Stuart Perown, in his commentary on this passage, takes it very literally. He says, uh, what's meant here is that these captives have now come back into the land, and uh, they are now faced with the task of building their homes, building the city, of Jerusalem, building the house of God, defending themselves against the enemies who don't want them there, like Nehemiah had to do when he was trying to rebuild the wall, cultivating the fields again. And the fields, of course, would have been greatly overgrown with uh, weeds and, and brush and even trees. After 70 years of no cultivation, the land would have been difficult to prepare for cultivation. And then sowing their fields and uh, looking for and hoping for a crop. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Here's the promise then of God to these returned captives as they labor and toil with tears to prepare the land and to establish again their homes in the land. The Lord promises that they will reap with joy. But you can also, I think, take it metaphorically, and this is, I think, the better way to understand it, that the sowing with tears is, is a metaphor for the going into captivity, that they went out of their own land with tears. And, of course, we know that there was much weeping. Uh, Jeremiah talks about that, about the uh, captives as they were being gathered uh, around uh, the Jerusalem area somewhere, uh, weeping for their children. They're going out then with tears as a farmer goes out to sow his, his field with tears, knowing the heavy toil, knowing the anxiety of the farmer who uh, is not sure that his labor will not be in vain and therefore anxious about 
uh, reaping a crop. But there then is the description of the joy of the farmer also as he reaps his field and brings the harvest home. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. It's a description, it's a return then to that first part of the psalm and to the description of the joy of that first part of the psalm, that rejoicing that we see in the first part of the psalm, but it's the rejoicing now that is an answer to the prayer of verse 4. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south and the promise of the Lord in answer to that is, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The promise, then, is the promise to all of us, people of God, that after the hard toil and the great afflictions and the trouble of life, there will be a return, a reaping of the harvest of joy, that the promise of God that all our labor will will not be in vain, that there is a harvest of good things to come. It's the joy here. The psalm is expressing the joy of our salvation, the joy that all the people of God have as they anticipate the great salvation God has promised them and as they experience that salvation in part here in the world But it's especially a description of that joy that will be ours when the Lord comes and makes our salvation complete. It's a joy inexpressible and full of glory. In fact, you find here in the psalm an emphasis on joyful shouting. The word for joyful shouting occurs three times in this psalm. First in verse 2. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. And then in verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. And finally again in verse 6, they shall doubtless come again with joyful shouting, bringing his sheaves, their sheaves with them. It's a psalm of Joy then of that joy that we all have in the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. A great and wonderful joy, a joy that is indeed inexpressible. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. May God's word be a comfort and joy to us.